Hey, hockey fans, welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks, volume 55. My very special guest today is from the home of my heart, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, and more specifically, the small town of East Bay. This man can basically do it all. Aside from his dozens of TV and film credits as an actor, he's also an audiobook narrator, a director, writer, singer, guitar player, entrepreneur, and an all-around great guy. He's here today to share his journey in the acting world and perhaps most importantly, discuss his role as Boston Bruins captain Fern Flamin in the movie Goalie, the heart-wrenching story of Terry Sawchuk. Please welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks, my friend, Mr. Billy McCullen. How are you, Billy? How's she going by? Good, brother. Yes, she's going okay. Good to see you. I've been wait- I haven't had a Cape Bretner on the podcast in a while, so I've been waiting a while to say that. You forgot something from my credits, man. You forgot that I was number 11 on the uh, Cape Breton County Raiders in the Adam D Hockey League. <laughs> yeah, well, so, I don't know. I don't, don't know how did I miss Wikipedia. that? How did I miss that? <laughs> There's probably a picture of it in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really good to see you too, Billy. I mean, uh, it's it's been a while. Um just, I guess, first of all, to start things off, um, I guess you and I met a few years back. Uh, the best way Cape Bretoners know how to meet is around around a campfire and a couple of guitars. And uh, it seems right, like, yeah, uh, yeah we, uh, we had a good time together and we've talked to each other ever since. And I just want to thank you. I know you're a super busy guy right now. I just want to thank you for taking the time to, uh, to have a chat with me on, uh, I'm not sure if you've ever done a hockey podcast before. No, I haven't. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you named in my 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 bio, like, for instance, guitar player that um, <laughs> I think you're being a little bit gracious there. But uh, no, I haven't done a hockey podcast before. But uh, if there's one thing I like to do is jam with other Cape Bretoners. So uh, let's get at her. All right. Sounds good. But so first, tell, <clears throat> tell our listeners, uh, I know where you grew up, a small little town called East Bay. Tell me about uh, your childhood and and. Uh, your family and your interests uh, as a, as a kid? Yeah, I, uh, I was born in Sydney. Um, it's a typical, uh, Cape Breton story. My mother, uh, was at her parents' place, uh, not too far from the hospital. And she, uh, she, <laughs> she, she went into labor and, uh, she walked over to the hospital and, uh, while she was, while nice. she was in labor, uh, my my old man was a carpenter back then and he was working on the outside of the hospital so someone yelled out the window to him that uh he was about to have a kid and he went in and uh, yeah I was born in Sydney and I was uh raised in uh East Bay I I'm an original uh, trailer park boy I grew up I grew up in a trailer park yeah Island View Island View Estates is uh what it was called in East Bay North Side East Bay and uh, then when I was uh, eight or 10, I moved to Gillis Lake Road, which is in, in the middle of the woods. It's uh, still a dirt road today. And uh, yeah, when we were growing up, we could get two channels uh, and one French channel. So, uh, <clears throat> well, so, we, yeah, that's uh, we, that's the one thing I didn't know we have in common because I grew up on a dirt road, too. And I had the same amount of channels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's how I grew up. And, um, I, uh, I went to Riverview high school and, uh, after that I was, uh, accepted to Acadia university, uh, to be a gym teacher. And, uh, that year, uh, my girlfriend in Cape Breton, uh, her parents told her that she wasn't allowed to leave Cape Breton for her first year of school. So I decided to stay in Cape Breton as well. And 
in that year while I was at UCCB, um, some some theater pals were uh, going to audition for uh, the National Theater School of Canada. And so I uh, tagged along with them and I had one backup school, which was Concordia University. And I didn't get into NTS, but I got into Concordia. And upon my exit exam at Concordia University, my acting teacher said, uh, Billy, I think you're an actor, but you need some classical training. I think you should audition for the National Theater School of Canada. And I said, man, I already did. I didn't get in. And he said, I think you should again. And I did and got in. So yeah, I went to one year at UCCB and then three years at Concordia for acting and then three years at the National Theater School for acting. Did you have any experience before that as like in high school doing theater or doing any types of summer camps or plays? What was what was going on back then? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you ask that, man, because uh, I was just in Charlottetown shooting a TV show uh, three days ago and <clears throat> I, I started drama in grade eight um, and I, I wanted no part of it because I was there was no part of me that wanted to stand on stage in front of the people. And uh, uh, <clears throat> what happened was um, when they were doing the casting of the play and all of that stuff, coincidentally, my grandpa passed away. And uh, uh, so I was off school for the week and I told them, I just sent a note and said, I didn't want to be in it. And um, my pal, Madeline White was the stage manager. So we were just going to be co-stage managers. And uh, uh one of the girls in the play who had a part, she ended up moving away. So there was an empty spot. And I rem like, I can see my drama teacher's face. He was saying like, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And uh, yeah. I did it and just had a ball. Now, <clears throat> the reason why I say it's a little bit of a coincidence is because I was in Charlottetown three days ago and I, <laughs> I went for lunch and cow's ice cream is huge in PEI. And oh, yeah. I, I never had it. And it was right beside my hotel. So I was like, well, I should just pop in there. I only landed for like an hour and a half, maybe. I should pop in there. I only know one guy from Cape Breton that lives in PEI. And he was like four people behind me in line. And he was in that drama class. Oh, and on wow. Facebook, I get a message from my pal, Eva Alcori, who was just inducted into her mm -hmm. uh, Dalhousie soccer team, was just inducted into the Nova Scotia Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah, She sent me a text. She was in that drama class. And she said, I just arrived in Charlottetown last night. So there's wow. some there's some weird coincidences happening with oh, I with love me it. last week. <laughs> I love it. That's, I love that stuff. So listen, so you did have a little taste and I knew you I know you grew up playing a little bit of hockey and some other sports. So you were very active in your childhood. But when I know you went through your university, we'll skip through to uh, post Concordia days. Uh, when did the first big thing happen for you? Or when did you first get your first break? Well, I don't know, man, like it depends. Hmm. Well, let, let, let me run on the uh, coincidence um, <laughs> okay. front for a yeah, second. Let's so stick, to, about stick to the morning. theme here. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this morning and, and having the opportunity to do this with you. So yeah. two weeks ago, I was up north. And um, I, sh I was shooting a Christmas movie with Megan Follow's daughter, Lila. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> so I'm shooting the Christmas movie with... Uh, Anne of Green Gables daughter. And um, yeah. then I jump on a plane to go to the land of Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> and um, I got back day before yesterday and you asked me to do this. And the, to answer your question, the first really big thing that happened to me was, <clears throat> it was still while I was at Concordia, okay. my first show off of Cape Breton Island, 
the American Community Theater of Hong Kong mm. uh, commissioned Concordia to take Anne of Green Gables to Hong Kong, and I played Gilbert Blythe in that show. Now, when we were rehearsing, it was just like an, any other play to me, and I had spent very little time off that dirt road, and mm -hmm. I had just arrived in Montreal, really. So when I went to Hong Kong, I um, it was it was a deal, man. It was a yeah. it was a proper deal. Um, I felt like the country mouse, and the first really big thing that happened to me is we did one of our first shows there was a matinee and the entire theater was filled with girl uh, a girl school a girl school mm -hmm. and when i came out and bowed at the end as gilbert Blythe, um the roof came off that place and i i just came out and bowed like normal and when when they yelled i was like I, I got scared. I was like, I don't even know what's happening now. So that was that was the first really big thing. Um, um, and, uh, you know, I guess most people wouldn't really sort of think along these lines. But the first really big thing that happens to you uh, as an actor is just having the ability to sign with an agent. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it took me a couple of years out of school to do that. Um, the big the big jump off for me was I was. Uh, in 2007, I was asked to go do a play out in Edmonton called Vimy about uh, soldiers serving in the, the First World War, and they yeah. needed a, a guy to play in Nova Scotian. And while I was out there, um, mm -hmm. they were they were going to finish Vimy, and then they were going to start a Christmas Carol. And the guy that was playing Bob Cratchit had a heart attack, and he he's fine today even. But uh, they had to do some shuffling around, and they asked me to stay there. And uh, at the time, I was working in the stock room at the Gap, and um, <clears throat> I was having a lot of problems there, man. I, I had a, a, some bad vibes with one of the managers, and yeah. I remember my buddy Chris saying to me, well, Billy, maybe you're trying to shove your talents down the throats of the wrong people. Ooh. And uh, when I got those two shows back-to-back -back in Edmonton, the Gap said, you're gone for so long, technically you have to quit. And... Uh, <clears throat> I remember talking to Chris and saying, um, <clears throat> it's a big deal if I quit because I don't think they're going to hire me back on maybe. And, uh, and, and he said, well, maybe now it's time to make the leap. And, uh, I, I've been, a, I've been an actor since then. So, so geez, Chris, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, no, you certainly <laughs> did. I mean, I, I think, you know, you just having that aha moment on the stage where you're like, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. And that rush that you must've gotten. I mean, I can, I can certainly, um, appreciate the fact that that could have been the kickstarter and then and then like you said you got an agent so at some point you had to make a leap and uh what that was there a moment precisely was it signing the contract with the agent when you're like i think i'm gonna be an actor for the rest of my life yeah you know somebody asked me that question recently and for a guy that went to uh a total of six years of acting school you would think that i know this is what i want to do <laughs> yeah but there's so like it's really difficult for me to think back because man, even when my pals were auditioning for the National Theater School, I just felt like I was riding a wave. Like, mm -hmm. and then when I got into Concordia, you're in school, you're locked in for three years. So I was riding a wave, and then I auditioned for National Theater School, and you know that's seven years of wave riding. <clears throat> I, 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 th <laughs> I think the moment of like, oh, I'm an actor happened when 
the national theater school, there was only 10 people in my class. And when it ended, uh, I don't think anybody was actually from Montreal. So everyone left and I stayed. Um, and when everyone left and I stayed and I didn't have school to go to, there was nothing in me that was like, oh, yeah, I'm an actor. I was like, oh, shit. Now, <laughs> now, now what? Now what <laughs> happens? Like, what's the next? How do you become an actor? Um, to, to tell you how naive I was, about three months previous, while just at the tail end of school, one of the things we had to do was get on a bus and go to Ontario and had it have an audition off against other schools mm -hmm. and there's agents and managers in the crowd and stuff like that. And, um, my buddy Yoris from my class, we stayed at a pallet, a pallet is in Toronto. I slept on the couch and Yoris introduced me to this cat. And, um, he was an actor on that show, Nikita. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what else do you do? And he said, I don't have another job. And I was like, that's all you do is just, you're an actor and that's it. He said, yeah. And I remember he had a PlayStation and he had about a dozen games. And I remember thinking, that cat can play PlayStation wherever he wants. He's made it. <laughs> He's made it. He's yeah. made it. He, he doesn't have another job and he owns a PlayStation. <laughs> wow. And for me, like after seven years of school, I was like, oh, that's possible. It's possible. No, it took me a minute. It took me about geez, six or seven years to, to get to that place. And and the one thing I know about acting is that nothing is guaranteed, man. Like we have yeah. open horizons all the time and you never know what job is your last job. So anytime I get a job, man, the, it's not lost on me. I'm, I'm grateful. <clears throat> That's cool, man. And I think, you know, drawing parallels here. I mean, the first of all, the Hong Kong thing is pretty incredible. Uh, but also, I think, you know, just listening to you talk about the some of the difficulties of, you know, becoming an actor, there's a lot of parallels with the sports world. And you being uh, from a small town, I mean, I'm sure that's one of the challenges of a small town. Anything is that getting out of there, you know, what are what are some of the other ch challenges that you faced? Maybe, you know, uh, being from Cape Breton or even, you know, the mindset of a small town, small town boy, not knowing that you're going to be able to, to have a chance to make it in a big city. Uh, yeah, well, um Look, I'm not gonna, <clears throat> I'm not gonna parallel myself to, uh, um, you know, someone with the talent of being able to, for instance, get into the NHL. But when you grow up on a dirt road, and you don't know anyone else that, like, I don't think I, I don't think I even knew of a person from Cape Breton that was making a living as an actor. Yeah. Um. I mean, Rita McNeil was making a living as a singer, but you know, I'm I'm not a proper singer, you know. So <laughs> I guess it was a um I guess the only parallel that I can make is just like the guys that hit the NHL who like it's just it's <clears throat> it's just in their bones. It's in their bones from when they're six years old. And for me it was just there was something about acting that was just always kind of in my bones. And I can't really, I can't really in hindsight or see another path for me. Um, I think I got enough of a Rover and Rambler in me to uh, live the lifestyle. Um, I, I, I just think that there's, I think there's probably a whole whack of traits that i have that i haven't really even thought about that you need in order to do this because it's not mm -hmm. for everybody man like absolutely like uh 
I don't know how many people would be comfortable in saying, uh, you know, I actually don't know when my next job is like that. Mm. Um, a lot of people wouldn't be comfortable in doing that. So, uh, um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I had huge challenges, um, in, in, um, I mean, no more than anybody else in any other profession. You get knocked down all the time in acting, and and yeah. uh, I think the 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 number one reason uh, people quit acting is just because they get they get they get tired of uh, getting knocked down. Uh, for me, a long time ago, I just like if I had to move back to Cape Breton, man, you know that's not that's not a second place for me like that. If if acting doesn't work out and I move back to Cape Breton and I have to roof houses, um, yeah, cool. Like I'm 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 in. Like I, then I get to to live uh, where my heart is, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah absolutely. I mean, so yeah. So I just want to go back to something you said there. Um, you said you can't really draw the parallels, but I'm seeing them at, with everything you're saying. I mean, and if the fact that you know people that grew up on a dirt road you it's it's a really a mentality thing and you don't really understand it until later so maybe it just takes a small town guy a little bit longer to understand you know that he has the ability to make these things happen so listen yeah Billy, you've been in so many shows in the last two decades and and a lot of these shows i mean you've been in the last since i've been away so i'm really not super familiar with all of your your uh your shows back home in canada but you know some of the bigger shows Pretty hard cases. Uh, you you said you recently were shooting episodes of Digstown. You've been in Star Trek Discovery, countless others over the past twenty years. Which ones are are you currently still involved in to start with? Uh, so yeah, so I just did uh, I just did a Christmas movie, one of those Christmas movies that flood uh, July through December. Um, I just did one of those uh, up north in Muskoka, and uh, I just. Uh, shot uh, an episode of Digstown on um uh in charlottetown i'm currently on cw's uh in the dark um that is uh halfway through season four now and um uh, apparently the, the whole series is going to pop to netflix in the fall and uh one movie that i have uh, on the tarmac is uh Dealey is gone with uh, marissa tomei and uh paul Walter Hauser, who, uh, who you might not know by name, but he played Richard Jewell in the Clint Eastwood directed movie, Richard Jewell. And he was in the 101 Dalmatians and he was in kingdom. And, okay. uh, I'm a huge fan of his man. To me, he's like, he's like, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and uh, Al Pacino level of talent. I think he's uh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so that's that's sort of what's like currently on the go. But I mean, if if people were, uh, um, you know, maybe stumbled across me at some point, um, I did uh, uh, the movie Maudie uh, with uh, Ethan Hawke and, and Sally Hawkins. Uh, pretty hard cases. I'm in season two, and that's on Netflix right now. Um, uh, I was in The Expanse. I did uh, Nobody, uh, the movie Nobody. Um, with uh, Bob uh, Odenkirk, I played his brother-in-law, and I was the uh, I was the bad uh, guy, human bad guy in uh, the Silence with uh, uh, Stanley Tucci and Kieran Shipka. Yeah, 
I mean, you just beat me to my next question, but you, you know, you teed it up pretty good. And I, I was going to start with saying, you know, you've played such a massive range when it comes to, when it comes to roles in films. And I know it's been mentioned. I've, I've read it in some other articles that have been written about you. And, and it's the first thing that people say, you know, from your terrifying role in the movie, the silence, which still kind of scares me a little bit to your feature role playing alongside Bob Odenkirk in the, in the, in the film, nobody. And of course the great Fern Flamin in the movie uh, goalie. So first of all, have you, have you been able to like take so many different types of characters and, you know, are there things you take from your personal life that you can kind of insert into your roles? Or are you more of a research kind of guy? Like, how do you how do you find yourself being having such a massive, uh, you know, range when it comes to your to your acting? Um, I don't know, man, it, it really depends on the project. Like, I don't know if this answers your question, but. Um, <clears throat> In the, in the show Murdoch Mysteries, I, they've asked me to come back three different times to play three different characters. And um, for me, uh, it's just about um, how can I make this character a little bit different? And um, I mean, there's a certain amount of text work um, that I do with every character. That's It's always kind of the same. And, you know, I guess that's like sort of like it's the same line drills, like it's the same line drills all the time in hockey, mm -hmm. you know, it's all yeah. the time, it's the same line drills. And so I do all the same line drills when I'm, I'm working, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I had a thought this week, Chris, and mm -hmm. I haven't thought of this maybe ever. And I was trying, I was thinking about what attracts me to like playing, playing very different things. And I remember when I was, um, when I was in that grade eight drama class, the, the drama teacher, Gary Walsh, he, he sort of took me and this other girl aside and he invited us out to the uh, college where they had a lot of plays going on and we would paint sets and run the soundboard, which usually just included like pressing play on the, on the deck at intermission. Like it wasn't yeah. a big thing, yeah. but we were involved, you know, and one thing that would happen is people out there, they would rehearse plays for weeks and weeks and weeks and they would put them up for just three nights but on the thursday right before the dress rehearsal all of the fellows would show up with haircuts to match their character right and there was really a level of as an observer it just seemed like there was really a level of immersion <laughs> i mean it sounds silly it was a haircut yeah. but yeah. they were different they were different on the spot and as a little kid looking at that I just always really admired that. So um, <clears throat> what I like to do for all of my characters is like, I'll, I'll grow a beard out to here if I'm not working. And then if I get a call for something and I get it and they want me to do it, um, like what, whatever production wants right. to do with me, I'm game. Like I just, I, I love the, I love the ability to just try to, I don't know, be, be different. Uh, well, it must be a huge yeah, challenge. I like, like being immersed. Yourself. Yeah, I mean, you have to be. You definitely have well, to be. Well, on the last, on the last, um, the last time I did Murdoch Mysteries, there was a little bit of a, there was a little bit of a thing. It was like kind of COVID-y times. And the audition I sent was, I set up a thing in the living room here and I, I sent it in. And I, I, uh, I went to the costume fitting and the costume lady hands me a shirt and says, here, here's a shirt. I think this looks more German. And I said, what do you mean more German? 
And she said, well, your wife is German and um, you're, you have a German name. And I was like, well, when I auditioned, I didn't have a German accent. And then I got scared and I called my agent and I said, I needed to talk to the director right away because yeah. the, the job's in four days and I can't do a German accent. And when I called the director, uh, she said, Billy, it's okay. You don't have to do a German accent. All I want is for when you show up on set to feel free. And when I hung up the phone, I thought, oh, shit, I'm not going to feel free on set unless I try to do a German accent. And so for four days, I busted my ass and wrote out all my lines phonetically. Yeah. And I showed up on set and I said to the director, I'm going to do it. And if it sucks, you have to tell me. Don't let me don't let me do a shitty one. And so I did the first scene and she was like, it's good. And. You know, there was the possibility that I, I would get a call in like three or four months and they'd say, Billy, we've decided to ADR and replace all your yeah. dialogue with just your normal accent. Yeah. But um, I did it. And, you know, I don't know how good it is, but I had I had fun and I felt free. I guess that's the important thing is I, di I didn't feel like I didn't do it because of fear, you know. Right. <clears throat> well, the, there must be different, uh, you know, different sets must feel you know, heavier when it comes to pressure or, you know, maybe you got more people breathing down your neck at certain points. And that kind of leads me to what I, I want to ask you next about the difference between doing TV work and film work. And, and earlier you said, um, you know, you have to be able to deal with a lot of disappointments in like, how many auditions are you going to? Like, what's the ratio between getting a gig and, you know, how many auditions you have to for the average actor? Or better than average yeah. actor like yourself. Let, let, let me just clarify that, though, yeah. uh, Chris, because yeah. um, I think it's important when people are starting out. You, you are disappointed, but I think that the muscle that involves, uh, evolves is uh, it goes from disappointment to that's just the nature of the game. Right. Um, and if you can't make that transition, you, you're dead meat, you know? Mm -hmm. So in terms of, like, not getting stuff, uh, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't really bug me and I, I i don't think you can you can afford to let it bug you because you know i don't know what the ratio is but um um okay well here's an example it, it, it's, it's pretty rare i ever count auditions but uh i had covid uh six weeks ago mm -hmm. and there was one week in there where i could barely speak that week i had eight auditions in seven wow. days so i was on vocal rest all day i would do the audition without hardly rehearsing because i didn't have any voice and then i would send it off now i wasn't at peak performance form when i did those things but of the eight i got zero um and you know uh that's uh, that's the nature of it right um but I also just come off two jobs. So um, um, it is similar in a way to going to a job interview, but just based on its frequency and its um, uh, the amount of times um, that they, well, actually, this is, might be kind of interesting. They don't tell you no uh, in the acting business. Um, I think because if they called you eight times that week and said, no, you didn't get it, it would yeah. be too discouraging. Right. It's just like, if you get it, they call you and say, you got it. That's it. No one, you never hear a no. So 
there has been times like I remember I auditioned for Watch Dogs, the video game, and uh, God, man, it felt it could have been like two years before I heard a yes on that job. And, um, so yeah, you do it and forget about it and cross your fingers and hope for the best. That's awesome, man. And like, is there one of those? You, you know, you played a lot of different roles. Is there one of those types of characters that you enjoy more than another, or or do you just constantly like the challenge of trying something different? Mm. I like both, but because um, <clears throat> you play a real good villain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah my mother doesn't understand why i always <laughs> like, get cast oh my billy yeah that's right yeah a funny story though I was, uh, I was in my i don't know if i've ever told this story uh in an interview before but i'll tell it to you awesome. um so years ago in montreal i uh i was uh i was uh seeing this girl and um she did a movie and as a rap gift the director gave the cast um coupon to go see a psychic and okay. uh she went to go see the psychic and came home to the apartment and i was doing the dishes and i was like hey nothing and i was like hey how'd the psychic go fine mm -hmm. okay um uh are you did they say something about me um and she was like i don't want to talk about it yeah. and i said well you gotta tell me now and she said well she said i should break up with you I said, why? She said, because you come from a darkness. Oh. And I said, what does that mean? She, she's like, I don't know. But she said, you come from a darkness, like from the time of kings. So I don't know if that psychic was right. I don't I come from generations of uh, villains. But um, dude, if it's a job, I'll take it. But to, to, to answer your question, um, my favorite jobs are ones, like I just had a job. And the script was like really intense and emotional and uh it like it was this it was a job where like i just had to really be in the pocket uh constantly yeah and um <clears throat> I, I i think i'm good at doing that and uh so so when when you get hired for a job where you feel like whether it's true or not you feel like they need a proper actor that can stay in the pocket and at the end of the day, when like there's a lot of obstacles and stuff, but at the end of the day, you feel like you can do a bat flip, mm -hmm. dude. That's um, th there's uh, I don't I, I don't know if there's a feeling that beats that. It, you know, you feel you feel pretty successful. That's what that that's the draw. That's what keeps you coming back. Yeah, and I mean, it's like, dude, it's like summer camp, like. Yeah. Uh, we went up to Muskoka and we were there for like a week and a half and you meet all these fantastic people that are instantaneously super open and um uh and it's like you, you do a job for like four days and it's ending and you feel like summer camp is ending and right. uh but the good news is hopefully you get to go to another summer camp in in, in three or four weeks right <clears throat> so the moral of that story is you should never trust the coupon psychic no, dude. Oh, so rude. <laughs> so rude.
<laughs> so listen, Billy, uh, just to move move past the uh, the film work now, let's get into your most recent work. Uh, you've Congratulations, by the way, on all the accolades and the awards that you've gotten for this. Uh, you've recently written and directed an award-winning short film called Camp Tipsy. Um, I've read what it's about. I haven't been able to see it. First, like, tell me a little bit about that. Was that your first experience uh, writing and directing? Well, uh, it, it, talking about um, altercations while doing the dishes, let me head that off at the pass. I didn't direct it. My girlfriend directed it. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cut that out. Uh, I wrote it. Edit that I out, wrote Polly. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Sake. No, no. This is this is staying in time, folks. This is in time. <laughs> uh, no, I, um, I, I wrote it, and um, I'm in it, and it's about a camp. Uh, a summer camp for kids speaking of summer camp it's about a summer camp for kids that are dealing with uh alcoholism and uh drug addiction and uh <clears throat> yeah basically i uh i had the idea um i was driving from los angeles back to toronto in my truck and i passed this town called uh tippecanoe i think it was in iowa or illinois or something and the, the sign just flashed by me at like a hundred kilometers an hour. And I thought Tippecanoe, I wonder if that's like a literal name or an indigenous name or, <laughs> and I, I thought it'd be a fantastic Tippecanoe, like it, Tippecanoe, yeah. it, might be, it might be literal. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, that'd be a play, great play, uh, name for a summer camp. And if you're a summer camp kid and shortened, shortened it, it'd be camp tipsy and like, it just like lightning it hit me the idea hit me yeah and uh <clears throat> so this production company was interested in the idea of uh making a short film about it uh and uh we did and we went to a kid's summer camp called quinmo lack and uh we shot it over four or five days and uh cut it up and um sent it to film festivals and uh yeah just one um uh, best short film at one film festival uh, I was nominated for screenwriter at uh, uh, the PEI Film Festival, and uh, the the lead girl who plays like a, a fourteen year old alcoholic who who can't stop drinking, she won uh, uh, best actor at one, and I got a best supporting at at one, and so w we've been having a lot of success with it, and people seem to really be uh, identifying with it or, or touched by it, and. Uh, uh, we had a ball doing it. Jay Malinowski did um, uh, the uh, from Bedouin Sound Clash did the original music okay. for it. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> he was able to get us in touch with uh, City and Color, who uh, uh, not only said we could use um, we found each other in the dark, but they donated it to us when they wow. heard what the subject matter was, and uh, so it, it just feel it feels like a lot of things fell into place and and we're excited to see where it goes and uh hopefully if uh someone is uh interested and willing to uh partner up we're gonna uh, try to make it into a feature film yeah so first of all jana i am sorry i know you were the director <laughs> it's just bad bad research maybe a typo i'm not sure it's uh, as we said uh before we before we started this isn't exactly my wheelhouse. So if that's the only <laughs> if that's the only mistake I make today, I'll be happy. Uh, so um, yeah, so 
you did um first of all the music that's amazing and my next question yep. was what usually happens with a with a short and as you mentioned you know you just finished you kind of answered my question you hope that it leads into something bigger um is that usually uh what you hope for when you make a short film well i mean when you're we're trying to make anything it it <clears throat> It really depends on the project of when it gets like a the green light. Like sometimes you could just right. say, hey, I got an idea about a camp for kid alcoholics and someone will be like, here's a pile of money. Let's yeah. make the feature with the short film you have. Uh, or the next progression might be, look, here's the script. What do you think? Or the next pro progression of what we have is like, here's a proof of concept of what we have the ability to do and the spirit of the project. And if someone really digs that, then maybe you get the green light. So right. you never really know at what stage it could uh, happen. I mean, geez, if it's <clears throat> if it's somebody uh, like if uh, if an A-lister wants to make a movie, they they pretty well just make a phone they call for it, financing yeah. and and it gets done. Yeah. So uh, we're uh, we're the muckers in the corners, just just trying to get uh, trying to get a green light. You know. <clears throat> So, um, Billy, I want to talk to you about something that I grew up watching and um, something I was really excited to see you be a part of. And that was uh, watching you host Christmas Daddies. Uh, for those of you who don't know what this is, it's a telethon uh, hosted every year during the holiday season in the Maritimes to raise <clears throat> funds to provide for less fortunate children uh, during the holiday season. Um, this uh, telethon since 1964, I don't know if you know this, Billy, has raised over $34 million dollars. And, you know, I always enjoyed it because we always got to see the local talent and it's kind of like a variety show where you see you might be introduced to some people from your your own hometown that you don't even know. Um, how did you get involved in this? First of all, how did you get involved in this incredible event? Well, uh, uh, yeah, Stephanie Beaumont uh, has been a pal of mine um, for uh, quite a few years, and she also... Uh, uh, she had a podcast called CNB Scene, so every now and then we would uh, we would have a chat, and uh, she got involved in Christmas Daddies, and she was talking to uh, the producer Mary Murphy, and she said, "Hey, have you ever thought about Billy McClellan?" And uh, Mary called me up and said, um, "Would you like to be involved involved in this?" And you know, I can remember as a little kid, uh, you know, lying on my belly on the carpet, uh, doing my homework, and 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 watching Christmas Daddies, yeah. and. I mean, that was like, dude, that was like the pinnacle of entertainment success. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so when she asked me, like, there was, there was no hesitation. I, I, I think I was even trying to play it cool. Like I was, I was super excited to get to do it. And, yeah. and then when I got there, like I got to hang out, you know, with, uh, uh Bruce Guthrow and, uh, Matt Minglewood and, <clears throat> um, you know, Geez, Bruce Guthrow alone, man, like yeah. all through my college years, his Of Your Son album with the song mm -hmm. Falling on it. Yeah, that that kept me a lot of company, man, when I was yeah. away from home. And um, so, yeah, so uh, so, yeah, it was it was uh, it was fantastic. And I mean, if they uh, if Christmas Daddy's told me to jump, I would I would say how high. And, uh, you know, it's been a little bit funny uh, since the pandemic, but. I did two uh two Christmas daddies and then uh when the pandemic hit they uh they only strictly did Christmas daddies out of Halifax. Right. But uh I was able to uh send some uh, some send some video to them and 
God loves them. They even asked me to sing uh, my love Cape Breton and me uh, one year. And I sent that in and uh, um, <laughs> uh, that's, I think that's as close to uh, being a singer as I will ever get just as uh, um, uh, doing the movie goalie is as close to a hockey player that I'll ever get. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah. So I'll leave it at that. And Billy, before we get to the movie goalie, we got one more thing I want to talk about. You can see it sitting behind my shoulder right here. I did mention you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, I did mention you're an entrepreneur and uh, we, we've got a lot of these floating around Hong Kong. Um, we try to put one in all of our music videos and we, we, we constantly, you know, Seamus has one on 24 hours a day. I think he sleeps with his on. Um, but yeah, so talk to me a little, <laughs> bit, talk to me a little bit about how this started and, uh, and what it's all about. Yeah. So I was in, I was in Venice beach we were walking around and, uh, I seen someone that had a t-shirt. I don't even remember what it, where they were from. Let's say it was Virginia. And yeah. it said, Virginia made me this way. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, Oh I, yeah. That's the other one. That's the other one here. Cape yeah. yeah there it way. is there. Yeah. yeah. So I thought to myself, I want a hat, uh, a patch that says Cape Breton made me this way. Cause I don't know if there's a truer statement and, uh, and then, you know, I couldn't find one. So I, I got like 200 patches made up and, and then just put it on my Facebook and everyone was saying, Hey, can I get one? Then I thought, well, instead of giving away 200, maybe I'll sell them. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> The CBAF, uh, you know, God love my mom, but I told her that it stands for Cape Breton always and forever. Um, yeah, I know. But, you told uh, me that story when I first met you. That was pretty funny. Yeah. So like both, both the sentiment behind both is just the, uh, there's just such an influence on when you grow up. And I don't know if it's the people or the land or the, the, the sea, I don't know, but there's just such a definitive uh, quality um, that I think is, is, is pretty unique to Cape Bretoners. And, um, you know, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like my number one qualification. Like I'm a yeah. Cape Bretoner first and an actor second, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I, I just really identify with it. And um, in the last show that I did, I was actually playing a Cape Bretoner. In C, it was Digstown on CBC. In season yeah. one, I yeah. wear that CBAF hat, and in season two, I wore the other hat. <laughs> but this year, this year I was in court, so I couldn't wear any hat at all. Um, <clears throat> but I brought those patches, and uh, I also have CBAF stickers, uh, and I was just I was handing them out there on set. I uh, it's a it's a fun like uh, handout gift, you know, wherever you go. Of course. So it's just, it's just a little fun thing. I mean, and, and like you said, we are Cape Bretoners. We all identify as Cape Bretoners first, even, even us uh, over here lost abroad. Um, so let's, uh, let's move on Billy to the main yeah, race. Before you yeah, move on, Chris, sure. I, just, yep. I, I just, I just want to add to that. Yeah. Uh, it is something that I am very, very grateful for, but don't you ever feel like, <laughs> Don't you ever feel a little bit that it is unfair in that you perpetually feel like the sirens are in Cape Breton singing their songs, perpetually trying to call you back home? Like, um, yes, maybe that's the Rover Rambler aspect. Like part of it also feels a little bit unfair sometimes. Absolutely. No, I can totally relate to that. That's, that's definitely the truth. And, and there's always going to be that draw back home. And, you know, before too long, 
I hope to be back there as well, because I, I don't think you could talk to a Cape Breton or, or a Maritimer that's not eventually going to make their way back. It's just, you know, that's kind of what we do. And, and that's what makes the place so special. So, Billy, let's move yeah. on to the, the main reason you're here today. Um, and those of you who haven't listened to my last uh, Hockey Talks episode with the great Terry Whalen did a fantastic job of breaking down uh, this classic hockey movie, as he always does. Um, you got to play maybe one of the greatest hockey names ever, uh, Fern Flamen, uh, Bruins captain. Um, first of all, um, I talk, I kind of asked you this before, but someone like him, who maybe it was really hard to find out a little bit about who he was, what kind of person he was, how do you, how do you explain his personality? How do you learn about it? And what's the research prod like process like for you for a character like this? Yeah, well, I mean, I, most of my work, I exhaust the internet. And then on top of that, I, I go to the Toronto Reference Library, which yeah. is just a treasure trove of stuff. Um, sometimes stuff that you can't even find on Google. Um, <clears throat> with Fern Flamen, it was, uh, it was a little bit difficult to find stuff about uh, his spirit because, you know, there's just no videotape kind of right. thing. Um, oh, insider tip. Mm. Um, uh, did you know that they're coming out with, um, a Boreas Salming movie? No, uh, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, uh, uh, maybe it's not a movie. Maybe it's like a three or four part series. I auditioned for it and didn't get it, but I was just talking to a pal of mine that did get it. Amazing. Um, my so, dad, yeah, I, he's my dad's favorite player. So he'll be excited to hear that. Oh, is that right? That's correct. So yeah. I auditioned for, uh, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but yeah. well, um, I auditioned <laughs> to play, uh, the scout that went over and found them. Okay. Um, but I didn't get it, but I figured I'd share the news with you. That's really um, cool. Yeah, yeah. So with, so with Fern, yeah, there, there, you know, all I really had to go on was, um, some images, uh, off the internet, um, and, uh, the script itself. And, um, you know, it's it, this, it, for me, this character wasn't, it's not like doing a biopic where, uh, Remy Malik is like, putting up uh, side-by-side uh, video clips of him and uh, Freddie Mercury right. and seeing how yeah. detailed the performance can be, you know? So for this, it, it just, I was trying to capture the spirit of the uh, script and, uh, and, and, uh, and let the story uh, be, be the guide in that one. This, there was, so there was no way for you to like reach out to former players or like people who may have been around him as he was a captain. Is, is there any sense of that? <clears throat> well, you don't know. See, the part of the problem with that is that you don't know. Like, I I did jump on Facebook and I searched to see because he he was based out of somewhere in it might have been Quincy, Mass, like uh, Massachusetts, uh, yeah. maybe. But uh, so I looked on Facebook and I I searched for hashtag for Flamin and. I did find some people that I think might've been related to him, you know, and, mm. uh, but you don't know, like you don't want to intrude and you don't know what people's relationships were with, uh, right. you know, that might've been their grandpa or something. Um, uh, you don't know, you don't know, unless the production is getting in touch with those folks for you. It's, it, it's not really the type of cold call that you want to make. Um, you know, <clears throat> if, um, for somebody like Mark O'Brien, who played Terry Sawchuk, um, who just I think knocked it out of a well, yeah, I mean, he, he crushed most that most role. things. 
he crushes he crushes everything uh, he okay. does. He he was in um he was in a TV series with Kevin Bacon called City on a Hill, and man, he just st- stellar you know stellar yeah. work. Um, it, it, if it was a, a role like that, and people thought that you know the part of the getting the spirit of the character was to have certain mannerisms mm-hmm. and i mean with a dude like terry sawchuck that that's true because i mean he had a definitive goaltending style yeah um then you know i i think it'd be more important for a dude like mark to figure out that stuff about terry as opposed to me figuring that stuff out about fern yeah so take us a little bit more behind the scenes there first of all um you just mentioned mark o'brien who he may not be known um by a lot of people in in the you know as a famous actor but he was absolutely incredible in that movie and you got to work with the great Kevin Pollack who who I thought was equally impressive um in the role that he played as your uh, as your GM as the GM so I mean how impressive was it a to work with him and and guys like Mark and, and what was the behind the scenes uh, of this movie like well Mark was there um with uh with his wife uh who played his wife in the film georgina yeah. and both of those people man they're just they couldn't be nicer and uh they just had a baby so they had i think i think her, the baby was maybe like five or six months old uh so it was a super cool um energy on the set and the other um hockey players that you know playing hockey players the other actors that i hung out with for a week were, were all super 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 guys um Steve, uh, who played uh, Gordy Howe, I, mm-hmm. I did a, I did a one of those Hallmark Christmas movie movies with him years ago. We played. Um, he was he was my brother in law, and uh, Steve by far was the best skater. Yeah. Um, oh, here's a behind the scenes at the audition. Adriana Maggs, the director, said, "Can you skate?" <laughs> and yeah. I said, "Well, I'm not a." I wouldn't say I'm a great skater. Like I played hockey until I was, I think 16 and uh, I played mostly D league. Um, um, but there wasn't a ton of ho- uh, actual playing in the movie. And there were some cats that said they could skate that could not skate, man. Um, <laughs> they were just going was, for the role. They needed two, that role. Yeah. There was one or two cats that would have broke their ankles doing a crossover. Um, yeah. But yes. Oh, and look, Mark, was fantastic on the skates um uh we had these um we had these hockey pucks um i don't even know what their use is for in real life maybe it's just a movie prop but they were uh they were foam and they were light foam uh so you could take one right off the kisser and not get hurt but but dude they would whip they would it was like uh (laughs) Uh, what do you call the thing where you have a, a shotgun and you say pull and it d- just whips out? Uh, uh, skeet, skeet shooting. Skeet shooting. You yeah, wrist yeah. shot those things, man. And there is like, it's happy Gilmore time. <laughs> like there is no, there is no control. And um, I think those uh, were desi- those were early, early designs as uh, jip rock savers in the basement. Yeah, well, it, 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 yeah, it could be. <laughs> those it nice light be, foam we were rocks. on ice yeah so like behind the scenes like there were very certain there was very certain moments in the script where it said this is the shot we need there was very little hey go just play um we did a tiny bit of that um 
when we were shooting up north, I think we were in Sudbury shooting the outdoor scene where Boston played the Newfoundlanders yeah. in the game. We were shooting in March, I think, in that outdoor rink. And we had a little bit of warm weather leading up to that. So there were puddle size holes in the ice yeah. with exposed concrete. And um, there, <laughs> there was a scene where uh, I think I was playing defense. It was like four years ago. I think I was playing defense and um, there was a rush and I, I was skating and, and then started skating backwards. And I was just like thinking, oh, please don't let me hit that concrete. Please don't let me hit that concrete. <laughs> yeah, that would um, not go well. <laughs> no, like it'd be like it'd be like Jason Voorhees reaching up and grabbing your foot. Um, yeah. And and we we could like our gear sucked, um, and yeah. we didn't have helmets on. Uh, we had tube skates from the sixties. Like it was, it was. Uh, yeah, it was challenging, man. <laughs> well, when we first talked about this, we were actually, um, I think we were at Stamfest, um, the great yep. Stamfest. Um, mm-hmm. And you told me about the about the skates, like having to learn to skate on old timely skates. Like this has yeah. to be like one of the more challenging things yet you've done trying to, trying well, to figure that out. When I first got them, when I was at the costume fitting, like it's not like they have like a store of old old timey skates like it had to fit my feet so i think i had a choice of three boots you know right and so i was like well i guess i'll take them and i'm at a costume fitting i can't try them out so i just took them and uh they kind of looked like low-rise converse like there's no support in them at all oh yeah and uh it was it was winter time and in toronto here i mean you pretty well throw a stone and you can hit a free outdoor rink that you can skate in and so i got them sharpened up and uh when i first stood on them i was bambi on ice like I, it was tough man and uh after after a few visits to the rink i was doing pretty good and i brought my gopro with me and i set it down on the ice and so i i was going to send the video to the director to just show how much i've improved in three days and so i i just booted it down the ice and started skating towards the camera and skated backwards and I just I wiped out hard, man, and and <laughs> fell on my GoPro, and the whole thing went spin. And I sent it to her anyway because I thought it was funny. But um, I started playing a little bit of pickup hockey on Saturday mornings um, with the fellas here around, and uh, I had on these old timey skates. And uh, my first shift off the ice, I, I I just looked down at the skates, a bunch of snow on the blade. So I I I, I grabbed the snow, whipped it off, and oh. all of the silver plating that was on the skate had like uh started flaking and soon as i whipped it i looked at my two fingers and they were both just bleeding like i had all these silver flakes in my pointer (laughs) finger and my thumb you know hey the price you gotta pay to jeez chris yeah this is live tv live tv uh, what do you got shut my alarm off let me shut my alarm off time to get up billy time to get up (laughs) yeah i'm awake i promise (laughs) yeah so it was uh it was it was it was it was challenging with the skates but i yeah. mean we the thing about that kind of movie is everybody's in the exact same boat everybody's right. got you know those skates on so but i mean it was it worked out in the end you know we we talk whenever time we have terry on we talk about and this kind of comes up in all of his research the difficulty it like hockey in particular might be one of the more difficult sports to film 
Um, and I know that, like you said, there wasn't a ton of hockey action in this movie. And I, I mean, I think that's always the smart route to go when you're trying to portray a, sto a story like this, because recreating those scenes, like, was there an absurd amount of retakes, like trying to get things right with you guys? Like, how difficult was it to, to film hockey? Well, I think here's the, here's the difference. Like, I think it's important, especially on a movie like that, that has a tight budget and a only a certain amount of time in the rink. I think we only played one day in the rink. I mean, wow. maybe Mark was on his own uh, for another day. Yeah. Uh, and then we had, of course, when we went up north and did the outdoor rink was a separate day. But if you are... Let me think what's a good analogy. Well, for instance, if you want to show somebody what a home run is in baseball, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you can film the whole game uh, or you can just film the home run. Uh, right. if, and even if you're filming the game, the whole game, there, there might not be a home run in that game. So if you go out and you just tell people to play hockey, you hope you know that's a that's a lot of money you're going to be spending and hopefully getting one shot so if right. the shot is that fern uh fern takes a wrist shot and uh almost takes the head off of terry yeah then that's the sh that's the shot you need to get you know so really we were just um we were looking in the script and going what do we definitely definitely need uh and that's what we're going to shoot um there was one time when I was coming in from the blue line and I had a, uh, let a wrist shot fly at the, at the hashtags. And, um, um, th this puck, man, there was just no control over this puck. I, I had a score above. I think, I, I think the direction was that I had a score above his glove hand. Yeah, this um, was the, was this the open, this was Terry's, this was the opening scene where he scored in his against him in the first shot, his first game. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I can't, I think I had a, I don't think I was playing for Boston at the time. I think they gave me another jersey or something. Oh, yeah. and you brought that up in the last podcast, Chris, yeah. about the jerseys. And don't let me forget about coming back to that. Yeah. But yeah, so so really, look, if um, it, it doesn't matter if it's hockey or just acting. Sometimes you do it the first take, and then the director goes, I think we got it. Let's just check it, make sure there's no technical difficulties, and we'll right. move on. And that's a huge money saver in the movie business, you I know? Bet. So it's the same thing when you're shooting hockey. So we were just shooting stuff to, until we got what we needed. And, um, and, uh, and then we were moving on. <clears throat> okay. Well, so tell me about the jerseys. I mean, you, we, we were wondering, like, do you have, you're obviously a tight budget movie. Like you said, you're not getting the rights to wear Boston Bruins jerseys. I mean, what, what was that? What was that all about? Yeah. I, I heard that conversation and to, to be honest with you, and look, this is just a, a dude that's speculating on yeah. four year old, information that mm -hmm. flew by my ears but i don't think it was a i don't think it was a money thing i think it was a contractual thing and again this is speculation and i'll say yeah. allegedly. allegedly but yeah. i think part of the deal was that um i think that nhl said stuff like there can't be violence in it and they can't show blood and um uh, otherwise they weren't interested in like showing the actual period uh jerseys and stuff like that and to make a movie about Terry Sawchuk and say that you can't show blood. Um, yeah. The guy with the most you, Well, you'd be blood. like, what are we doing here? Yeah. What are we, what are we? No one, like saying, no one bled you, you more can shoot than the him. movie. 
yeah, you can shoot the movie Jaws, but you're not allowed to use water. Like it, it, <laughs> yeah. it just doesn't make any sense. So no. I think they just came to an impasse and uh, they thought that the story was important to tell. And, and the truth is, if someone is like super hung up on jerseys, um, uh, it's, it's probably not the movie from that for them, because no. in terms of the spirit of the movie, that that's not what was important to us. Absolutely. Oh, but, yes. but Chris, I will yes. say there were points where um, there were points. I remember there was a scene when we were outdoors yeah. and it was raining and we were sitting on the bench waiting to go on the ice for the Newfoundland game. And I went over to talk to Terry there. And I do remember the director, like I was holding my hockey stick like this. And I do remember she was like, Billy, can you just, can you just lower your hands so that they're covering the logo? <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> that's great. So, I mean, that, that scene, the outdoor scene, uh, your opening scene where you scored uh, in ter against Terry in his first game, um, giving speeches in the dressing room on the bus, what was was there a moment that stood out for you, like in that entire role? That I know this was a few years back, but, but was there a cool moment, like even if it was, you know, hanging out, having a cold one after the outdoor game? I mean, what was it? Was there a scene that you really loved to shoot? Well, huh. um, the best. Uh, I, yeah, like in in you're right, Chris. I, I I played hockey and I played soccer and I played baseball and I played football and I played water polo mm -hmm. and uh, all through you know junior high and high school and stuff. And uh, my favorite year in all sport was probably the year, the first year Blair McDonald coached uh, the Adam Raiders, and yeah. it was just, I mean, he was a proper coach. Like he was. He was a proper coach. And I feel a little sentimental because he actually passed away this year. Yeah. Um, but playing hockey um, as a Canadian kid and getting paid to do it, yeah. uh, it just, it was a real special, uh, it was a real special feeling. Like it felt like Christmas time yeah. being up there. And, uh, uh, I, I, I sent him, I, I posted a Facebook post to Blair Donald, my coach. And, uh, just to say that I got paid to play hockey, you know, and, um, yeah. that, that's, a that's, special. I mean, that's something that I thought would never happen. Yeah. It was really, that was really special for me. hundred percent. I mean, and, and I'm sure you had a lot of those moments where you're kind of pinching yourself. Um, and like seeing it back on screen must've been just kind of surreal because some of the classic hockey movies have those you know, really cool out. It seems like most of the classic hockey movies have a really cool outdoor scene or some type of element like that. And that's, you know, the roots of the sport, the roots of the game and, and must've been really exciting to be a part of. Um, and in terms I, of, sorry, yeah, Chris, I, no, I had another thought there in terms of the, in terms of the scene where uh, Terry is kind of discouraged and sitting on the bench in that outdoor game and it's mm -hmm. raining and they didn't make the playoffs. So now they're forced to do this tour with Boston and, um fern comes over and holds the umbrella over his head taking mm -hmm. care of his goalie you know yeah. and there's always just been like a real something i always really appreciated about hockey is the the fellowship or the brotherhood and, um you know that 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 uh 
feeling responsible for the well-being of your goalie like that's mm-hmm. that's a real i think that's a real special i mean and it's not just physically like it's no, emotionally and, yeah. and mentally and and you know i dare to say spiritually mm-hmm. um and it and it goes beyond the paycheck and it goes beyond beyond the win it's it's a real brotherhood thing so for for uh adriana and jane mags to put put that beat in the script um smart smart yeah yeah totally i mean like you said that there's that special aspect of the sport and i mean it it happens in most sports but here you know this is such a you know it's a hard movie to watch i mean it's sad at times and and it's re it's very real and and you've seen it this story play out in countless different athletes and and even celebrities um things things that happen in their lives and you, you hear their stories and this one was a hard one to watch at times. And and like we said earlier, Mark did such an amazing job portraying that vulnerability in his character, um, you know, and you guys did such a good job. Like I found it, I found it weird. Like you said, supporting your goalies, but there's the, the six of them in the whole league. So they, they need to be like the most important person on the planet, you know, because yeah. th- their job is so coveted. Um, and I wanted to ask you, Mark O'Brien, did he play hockey growing up or was this something like, was he ever a goalie before? Uh, I don't know for sure, but uh, if memory serves, I don't think he played goalie, but he played. And and look, I mean, the truth is he couldn't have learned that, that hockey skill set uh, leading up to the film. Like for instance, just the ability to skate with pads on. Like, yeah. it, maybe he learned that part, but the skating itself, like he couldn't have been that good of a player and not have played before. Right. Like, so yeah. if I was a bet man, I'd put five grand on the fact that he used to play because I just, I, I just actually don't remember. <clears throat> um, and uh, what was the timeline on something like this? Like from from the time you get a call saying, "Hey, we want you to audition for this part," you get the role. How long does it take to to put out a, a movie like this? It, it really depends. Like, uh, um, you know, some things have a really, really tight turnaround. Yeah. Um, like when I did Murdoch mysteries, the last time they're such, they're, they're in like their 16th season. They're such a well-oiled machine and they know what they want and they know what they need on the day to shoot. So that actually came out super fast. There are other times, like I, I, I shot, I shot this movie Dealey is gone. Maybe maybe eight months before COVID shut everything down. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that must be going on three years and that one's still sitting on the tarmac. So, wow. um, <clears throat> so yeah, it just really depends. Yeah. So um, is there anything else about the movie goalie or anything that you heard us talk about or anything else you wanted to mention about it? Yeah. Um, one thing popped into my brain this morning, just cause I thought it was so cool. So Sean McCann uh, is actually, was actually a pal of mine. He passed mm-hmm. away. He played one of the uh, uh, older gentlemen, sort of historically looking back from the diner and, and telling stories. And mm-hmm. um, I, in writing out my list of uh, um, my favorite hockey movies today, Sean's performance actually sort of reminded me in uh, in the Legends of Hockey series uh, of Gump Worsley's. Uh, uh, like Gump is such a good storyteller, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it just um, is amazing. But anyways, the story I wanted to tell you about Sean, 
Sean was also in one of my other favorite hockey movies years and years and years ago when I was a little kid. And again, coincidentally, it was starring Megan Follows, who was Anna Green Gables, and Yannick Bisson, who is Murdoch from the Murdoch Mysteries. Uh, Sean was in it, and um, Rick Moranis was in it. But the cool story I wanted to tell you about Sean, just as a sports fan, uh, I was years and years ago, I was doing a documentary about my family. My grandparents had 19 kids, so I was doing a documentary about them. And uh, I found in my uncle Danny Boy's basement in Cape Breton a box of film, films, reels. Mm-hmm. And so I took them back to Toronto and got them developed. And there was there was a, a John F. Kennedy um, campaign rally on there. Um, but there was also a lot of um, home video footage of uh, Fenway. And okay. uh, there was a game on there where Boston was playing New York. Uh, and it had to be had to be the early 50s or something. And the camera was so far back that I couldn't really um see who even what any numbers were but somebody said take the footage to sean mccann and i took it to him and he could tell me who the players were based on their swing and uh because sean used to actually be a scout for the jays okay um so i just thought like it like i mean telling who the player is just based on their swing is probably a skill set that i don't even I didn't even know existed, I think, you know, so I, I just thought it was a cool story. Oh, that's absolutely, that is a hardcore fan <laughs> because there's not too many people that could do that. I mean, even harder, probably even harder in hockey because everyone, you know, everyone kind of, you know, everyone has their unique kind of tendencies, but, you know, everyone's kind of doing the same thing out there. So, Billy, um, yeah, yeah. what other, I mean, what else can I say about this movie? Um, it was, it was, a, it was one of those must watch, I think, for someone who wants to learn about it you know the history of a man who revolutionized the sport um who struggled physically mentally um went through all of his ups and downs was there anything else you took from the movie that you want to share with us well i don't know how many people know this and i don't even know if i should say it because it feels like um um i don't know but i'll just say it um so you know that famous photo of terry yeah. with the scars i thought i thought that was terry's face um but what that is is a recreation that i think that time magazine did yeah uh, i can't remember who who did it but it it's actually makeup of um all of the scars that he actually had so they went in and just like um if he had five scars here and you could just see it a little bit, like they, they made sure you could see it. I thought that was just the dude's face, you know? So, I mean, it, it, I was a little bit disappointed to find that out, but um, it, 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 I should also say it doesn't take away from the fact that that's still the amount of pucks that he took to the face. I know. I mean, how much more <laughs> respect do you have for for an NHL old timer NHL goalie after seeing and learning and, you know, seeing what he went through. Yeah. Insane. Right. And I mean, the, what the what that makeup artist was doing in that photo is uh um exposing what we can't see like right. the damage we can't see yeah. and you're right the movie is a hard watch and he's somebody that dealt with um uh alcoholism and a, a rough upbringing but you're you know the things that we know today you're also dealing with a man that took way too many shots to the head and way my too stepdad many. had a 
had a concussion. He fell off the roof and yeah. he went back to the doctor and the doctor said, you can't afford to get a, uh, you can't afford more concussions. And, yeah. and Stu said, how many is that? And he said, one, you can't afford to get yeah. two. That's and, so true. And Terry, Terry must've had, who knows? Yeah. Um, and I remember when I was in grade nine and we went up, me and Jeff Muse went up to Halifax because the WWF was, was yeah. up there. And we were in the elevator with, with Jeff's dad, Dave, and we were heading up to our room and we stop on the, the elevator stops on the third floor and Brett, the Hitman heart walked in mm-hmm. and Jeff and I were beside ourselves and Dave, the dad was just having a conversation with Brett Hart and Brett Hart said something like we're on the road 300 days of the year. And in that five floor elevator ride, yeah. that's what Brett Hart chose to tell David. And so that's a dude that is hurting, you know? Yeah. And for hockey players that are spending that much time on the road away from their families, you know, some of them are ramblers and rovers and they probably enjoy it, but there's probably a lot of cats that don't. They just happen to have a skill set that, that that's their job and and and, yeah. and uh it's tough on a lot of a lot of people. Well, that's kind of what the hardest part was to watch, like how many times you're gonna put them back out there. Um, because knowing what we know today, I mean, obviously that we don't allow that to happen. Um as much and and you know we do such a better job at taking care of people's mental health nowadays that that it was really that was probably the most disturbing uh, part to watch but i mean an all-around uh, fantastic movie and i recommend any hockey fan to go back and watch it um before i let you go billy i know uh it's uh, early in your day and you've been really busy but one final question is there a person a role something that you would dream of uh you know someone you'd like to work with or or a role that you'd always you know dreamt of doing yeah there's a there's a whole bunch um there's a whole bunch that i'd like to do um there's a stage play of one flew over the cuckoo's nest um i'd like to do that um there's a few cape breton stories that i really like that I, i i think should see the screen I narrated the audio, the Hugh McLennan audio book, Each Man's mm-hmm. Son. And uh, there's a couple of parts in there that I would like to take a swing at. Um, uh, yeah, there, there, there's no shortage of, of things that I'd like to do. Um, well, we'll, we'll see what the universe has in store. Well, Billy, I'm sure it has uh, a lot in store for you. Um I wish you nothing but the best. And and is there currently anything that you're working on that you can give us a little teaser on or something that's going to be coming out pretty soon? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I got a Christmas movie coming out this year called uh, Christmas on the Rocks, Digstown season three um, um, should come on maybe in January. Um, you can watch uh, CW's uh, In the Dark uh, now uh the silence is still on netflix and uh they just released maudie on netflix and uh i have a small part in that movie but uh i i like to mention it because sally hawkins uh she was um she was uh that she did that movie the same year that she got nominated for uh the shape of water and uh apparently you can only um uh be nominated for one film so her uh, team decided they were going to go with the shape of water, but I, yeah. I think she could have easily won uh, best, best actress for her role in that movie. Uh, she's just this phenomenal. 
phenomenal in that movie. Um, and, but before I let you go, man, there's, yep. there's, I'm looking at my list of uh, my, uh, my favorite hockey movies here. Yes. And there's a couple that I don't think you know about that okay. I'm going to tell you about because I think they're fantastic. Um, uh, you've probably heard of this one. It's called Valiant. It's yes. the story about, okay, yeah, the story about the, the, the um, Las Vegas first year. That blew my mind. That, I thought that was really well done. Mm-hmm. One you might not know is called Junior, about the uh, junior hockey in Quebec. And it was a real um, fly-on-the-wall documentary. Uh, and it's, it's super rare, so I, li- I like to tell people about that one. Mm-hmm. There's also a, a pretty rare one called uh, The Chiefs, about the Laval Chiefs from their season back in 2001. Mm-hmm. And it follows uh, four of the players who actually um, live in the, uh, this like abandoned space inside the rink. Uh, that's, that's a really good one. And um, uh, there's a, a Canadian film that came out a few years ago that didn't get a lot of traction, but I thought the performances in it were really, really good. Uh, and it's called Hello Destroyer. Okay. Um, and I don't, I don't even want to tell you the premise because it's such a big part of the film, okay. but it is super uh, interesting. And on a sentimental level, man, uh, I remember I saw it on my 11th birthday in the theater with my parents and my little sister. And it's not an appropriate movie to see with your parents and your little <laughs> sister. But I saw, I saw Youngblood at the Sydney Triple Cinemas. Uh, yes. And if I had it with a gun to my head, I'd still have to say that's my favorite hockey movie of all time. Maybe Yay. some of the worst hockey playing. But sentimentally speaking, I, I, I dig that one. You nailed it, man. And if we actually covered that movie a long time back and you nailed it, some of the worst hockey action, but so many, so many great movies uh, or sorry, moments in that movie. Um, so listen, Billy, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to me. I wish you nothing but the best. Uh, what's next for you? What do you got for us? What do you want to end this on? What's, uh, how can people watch you? How can people find you? Well, I think we probably covered that already, but look, man, as long as, uh, I mean, we're already mid July right now and yeah. I don't know where the heck this summer went. So, uh, hopefully right now, the next thing that I do, uh, because right now I have an open horizon and hopefully the next thing I do is throw the motorcycle in the back of the truck and start heading East until the map turns blue. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I want to be in Cape Breton soon. That's where I want. I look forward to seeing some of your GoPro videos as you, as you travel around the Cabot Trail. <laughs> All right, Billy. All right, dude. Uh, Best of luck. Have a great summer and I'll be chatting with you. All right, pal. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. That was Across the Pond and that's a wrap. Thank you once again to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Wheel Hub Asia, The Big Bite Restaurant, Felix & Co., Psalm Sleep, and Yardley Brothers Craft Brewery. And of course, our head honcho here at Sunset Studio, Mr. Paul McLean. Folks, if you want to reach out, send in a question or a comment to acrossthepondhk.com or find us on social media at acrossthepondhk.